0: All right. Uh, my name is Arthur Manuel. I'm a Syilx and uh, Tanaka. The Syilx are from the south-central south interior of British Columbia, and the Tanaka are from the southwest. I mean southeast of British Columbia, also in Idaho, Montana. But anyways, I'm from those two tribes, and I was asked by the organizers to act as a facilitator, MC for this uh, press conference today. First of all, I'd like to ask, the uh, we got a list of speakers here, too, if you need the list of the media. Uh, Angie back there will be able to give you a, a list of the speakers so that you got the proper spelling and so forth and so on. Just put your hands up, and she'll, she'll hand out the stuff there. Anyways, and we'll get to that uh, shortly, but first okay, we're going to start. They want it now. All right. Hand it out now. First of all, we're going to start off with a shtad song here by some of the singers here. Sa you would you like to introduce the ladies
1: and gentlemen? Dear me, my relatives, at this time, I wish to acknowledge this performance people, the Musqueam, and the Steelwood tooth. to come here in a respectful manner share these songs and these words with you. I wish to introduce my relative here, Norma Dick. We have concerns. Some of those concerns are spiritual and sacred in nature in regards to the desecration that's taking place in our territory. We used to sing the Women's Warrior song to acknowledge all the life givers and to pray to the grandmother to help us so I asked my good relative Norma Dick to start that song. I'd like you to ask all the rice please because this is a sacred song of our people.
0: I'd like to uh, first uh, open by making a few brief remarks before I call upon our very uh, distinguished group of speakers here who will be given about a two-minute uh, talk about their specific concerns regarding the uh, 2010 uh, Winter Olympics. <coughs> I think one of the things I'd like to do first is welcome also the, the media here. I think it's a very important the media to pay specific attention to the way uh, Canada uh, treats indigenous peoples. When Canada made application to the uh, official Olympic Committee to host the Winter Olympic Games, they put their human rights record on the table. There's no and, ifs, and buts about it. I don't care what country you're talking about, whether you're talking about China or you're talking about Canada. Their human rights are on the table. One of the things the international community needs to understand is that Canada has did not endorse the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Canada, along with the United States, Australia, New Zealand, uh, did not support the uh, declaration because they felt it was inconsistent with the kind of policies they have here in this country, which demean and do not recognize the human rights of indigenous people. They have been violating over and over again the recommendations made by the different human rights bodies, like the uh, Committee Responsible for Civil and Political Rights, or the Committee Responsible for Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, or the Committee Responsible for the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. All of those committees, when they reviewed Canada's record, found that there were blatant violations of the human rights of Indigenous <coughs> people, and they haven't addressed those. I know, in the 2010 Winter Olympics, they're going to try and buy their way around their human rights violations. I know they have set up a a uh, cultural center. I think up in Whistler. And they're, they're giving the different Indian bands, the local Indian bands here in the Vancouver area, you know, different kinds of projects and proposals, and it is costing them money. But they're using that money for the purpose to try and hide and disguise the violations that they're making against the human rights of the indigenous people of this country. We are the poorest people in the country, not because this country is poor, but because the Canadian government continues to violate the human rights of indigenous people by not recognizing our aboriginal title and our treaty rights. Mm -hmm. That is why we're poor in this country. These people will talk about some more specific issues regarding the uh, violations of our human rights. But before we begin, I'd like to call on Garth Mullins from the Olympics Resistance Network who will give us a brief introduction of, of, of this press conference here.
2: Hi, thanks very much, Art. Uh, My name is Garth Mullins, M-U-L-L-I-N-S, and I'm from the Olympics Resistance Network. And uh, I just want to uh, acknowledge we're on Coast Salish territory here today and uh, say hello to uh, elders, national press, international press, uh, alternative local and and community media, as well as other uh, brothers and sisters and comrades in the struggle. I'm here to briefly introduce our group, the Olympic Resistance Network. We are a grouping that's building a network of um, indigenous, communities, social justice, environmental, women's labor, and uh, all kinds of groups that have concerns with the 2010 Olympic Games. We're organizing under the banner of No Olympics on Stolen Native Land, and along with our brothers and sisters um, and different folks in different groups and different struggles, we're calling on people from around the world to join with us in 2010, in February of 2010, and to tell the other side of the story. You're here today uh, as part of our attempt to tell the other side of the Olympic story as Van Ock is telling you their version. And from now until the actual Olympics, we're gonna be um, being quite highly critical of Van Ock's version, including the time when the Olympics is actually occurring here in Coast Salish territory. In February of 2010, we're going to be holding uh, a convergence of activists, of radicals, of lobbyists, of artists, of researchers, of dreamers, of everybody you can think of who has interests and concerns, indigenous people, environmentalists, women, gay, straight, black, white, everybody who has various social justice concerns and struggles, the people of Vancouver whose very civil liberties are going to be at stake. All of those folks are coming together here during the Olympic Games to try and tell the other half of the story through creative nonviolent, direct action, civil disobedience, lobbying, letter writing, marching, puppets, art, performance, all kinds of different forms of resistance and protest to try and communicate the messages about social justice, about the environment, about homelessness, and about indigenous rights. Thanks very much. Thank you. I have to vacate my seat, so someone else, uh, all right. I'd
0: like to uh, now call upon uh, our elder uh, James Louie, he's from the Statlium territory up towards Mount Curry which is impacted, he's, his area is one of the areas that are impacted by the uh, the ski site up in uh, Whistler Blackcomb.
3: Okay, I want to make sure everybody can hear, can you hear? Okay. And according to the Indian Act, Christianity, Canada, I have a name that says, Uh, You're not going to believe it, but it's James Douglas
4: Lewis.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's... I I really believe my parents must have had something against me. But the thing now is, okay, I'm living with them. We have no treaty with Canada. We may have a treaty with the Ishtekatma and the Chilkootin. And uh, because uh, today the Indian Act system is in place, the the, uh, BC Treaty Commission, you know, the BC Treaty process is in place the residential school settlement is there, it's been dealt with. I opted out. I tell Canada I am a newative statue. I'm not a Canadian. I never will be. you people should understand why I say that. And the thing today is that, okay, today, because we have no treaty with Canada, The imposition, the encroachment, Whistler, Pemberton, you name it, the hydro lines, the highway, the railroad, anything within our territory is illegal. Today, we have a petition in the Organization of American States. The first step we took was the Inter-American Human Rights Commission. We have a petition that is being... being—it's. Being looked at under the Organization of American States process. Today we are waiting for our status letter that will, we hope, get Canada to the table have Canada cooperate. Our 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 priority is our children. We can I, I can fight for my land, my resources forever, and gain something, but all my children, all the children, will be gone it would be a meaningless struggle for me because today, in our 1,800 population, there may be a hundred of those in the care of the ministry. And they, they do everything, anything. They took three children away maybe a couple of weeks ago. They had six cop cars. They they threw the grandmother in in one of the cop cars. They had her there for an hour and a half. And then they let her go. They went and got okay, they went and got um, some more people, some more cops, SWAT team, whatever. They were all there. And son of a gun, when those things happen, I mean to be diplomatic. Is pretty useless, and the thing now is today we have this international consultant. Okay, he's good. He was uh, he dealt with Malcolm X, you know, and uh, for me to uh, to wait now maybe for. A little over a year for them, the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights to send us a status letter. I, I, I am having anxiety attacks, you know. But the thing is, any time, every time, like we have other disputes, anything that's happening, we give it to our consultant. Zip is gone to. Washington, D.C. to the commission. We have maybe 10 children that have been apprehended since the, the petition's been in. And a lot of these documents Okay, the doc, some of these documents are archived because they're not really concerning our children. It's what we have. I have a letter here. There's, okay, it'll give you a brief explanation as to what has been said by this guy, I, I forget his name, the DIA and, and, and the federal government, uh, he, he sent a letter because we asked him. You know, because we have no treaty with Canada. He states that you know he knows we don't have a treaty with Canada, and still they're doing whatever they damn well please. So I I, uh, I really hope. Okay, the media here, I will give you a letter. Okay, our, our, our national stamp is on the original. I have 48 copies. I hope there's enough to be able to give to to the media that is here. Please take it, there's two, there's numbers on there, there's names, you know, it's just a two-paragraph thing to let you know what is happening to us, and uh, if you want questions, I think our international will, will give you the lowdown. He's not only dealing with us, he's people out right across the country. So, I really want to thank you for being here. I hope, I hope the encroachment, the genocide, okay, it's actually genocide. It's genocide. No two ways about it. Assimilation is is a word they use. That is John A. McDonald's. Uh, Policy, no matter how long it takes, we're going to assimilate art into the mainstream, so- you know, society of Canada. So, I don't know how the, how far they got art, but I tell you, we are struggling. We are struggling. So, thank you very much for your yeah. time. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: The next speaker is Dustin uh, Johnson from the Tsimshen, the North Central Environmental Watch,
5: and also the native uh, 2010 Resistance and Olympics Army Committee here. I'm here to talk about the corporate connections between the Olympics and the tar sands. All the corporations that are involved that are heavily invested in displacing and destroying indigenous territories. I come from the Tsimshan territories on the northwest coast of BC of so-called British Columbia. I say so-called British Columbia because I also don't consider myself Canadian. We've never signed treaties, we never relinquished our rights or our title to our territories. And roughly 90% of BC is still unceded territories. The land has never been surrendered under BC, under Canadian, under international, under indigenous laws. So that's important to remember. And it's important to make a distinction between elected chief, ele- elected leaders under the Indian Act system versus uh, traditional, traditional governments and traditional leaders. There's an important distinction to be made, to be made there. And uh, I, I bring that up because you, you probably hear about the Four host First Nations who are, are considered the native uh, uh, liaisons and hosting Olympics. And the Four host First Nations is actually just a small corporation of elite native capitalists who don't represent the majority of native people, especially the traditional and the hereditary leadership. So th- that's exactly the same way in my territory, so it's important to make that distinction. Uh, what, what I want to talk about is uh, corporations that are heavily invested in not only the Olympics, but the tar sands in Northern Alberta. And it's an important distinction to be made there because the tar sands are sl- slowly expanding to the to BC, to the west coast, and tar sands are the second largest uh, source of oil in the world, second to Saudi Arabia, and it's the leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions in, in the world, especially in Canada. And one of the corporations that's heavily involved in this is the World Bank of Canada, who, who, one of the, who is the third uh, top corporate sponsor of the Olympics. They, they invest 110, millions in, $110 million into the Olympics since, since 2006. And they also invest $15.8 billion into the f- fossil fuels industry in, in, uh, in Canada. It's the largest bank to, to put down that, um, that that's such a high investment into, into the fossil fuels industry, into mining, all these things that are destroying our territories. So that's important to know because this doesn't come out in the news. You don't hear that. You don't hear that side of the story. You only see the glitz and the glamour. And another corporation that's heavily invested in not only the Olympics but also the tar sands is Petrocan. Petrocan's set to become one of the leading uh, uh, operators in the tar sands area. And they're also the official, support, official energy supplier to the Olympic Games. So that's important to know because the Petrocan is, is set to become a leading uh, mining mining op- operator in all these indigenous territories and you look at a map you look at any map of where all the mines are throughout uh, the island throughout North America they're all within 50 kilometers to indigenous communities So, any native community there's a mine between 50 to 150 kilometers away from that native community significantly impacting the health and uh, the well-being of, of those people that are that are expected to survive throughout those conditions while all of these millions of dollars are being made off of their territories especially in, in non-none non-treaty, non-surrendered territories. So that's important to know because you don't hear about that. Also another thing to, to make no, note of is that there are a few native capitalists that are traveling throughout the world especially to China. There recently was a, was a delegation of 25 native businessmen that, are, that just arrived from China uh, trying to make deals on, on advertising our, our our territories and our resources in China and on the international market on uh, territories that are unseated, as I as I mentioned. So that these are things to watch out, before, watch out for because this is a, this is a corrupt, illegal treason w- w- what these native capitalists are doing. And they will try to paint the picture that they're trying to create economic development and self-sufficiency, but it's, it's really twisting the logic of what our people stand for. And a lot of our people still stand for sustainable development and, and protecting what we have left of our, our lands and resources in our, in our homelands. So that's important to, to, to uh, understand that distinction there. Also, I uh, just wanted to mention, too, that uh, when the Olympics come here, you're going to see a huge police state, and they say it's going to be the largest RCMP police operation in, in Canadian history. Second only to the, the largest police operation before that was the Augustus and Lake standoff in 1995, in which uh, over 350 RCMP sh- shot over 77,000 rounds into a, a Sundance camp, over 27 Sundancers who were only practicing their ceremonies, who were trying to protect their ceremonies and were terrorized by the RCMP, who came right out in the media and said that smear campaigns are, are our specialty. Smear campaigns meaning that they criminalize Native people as terrorists, as, as criminals, as thugs, and the RCMP were blatant in, in, uh, in telling the world that, that, that they did this, that they, they were uh, using this tactic to paint the paint Natives in a very negative light in the media. So that should be well made very clear in, in terms of what's going to happen in, in 2010 in terms of the history that's coming behind this, this fascist police state that we will see in February. So that's all I have to say. I'll let the other speakers here continue. Thank you.: Thank you. The next
0: speaker is Oslo. from the uh, stadium. Can I
1: mention My traditional name is Seislam, a very sacred name that is passed on to me through my grandfather. In 1977, through a potlatch. This picture here, my dear relatives of a grizzly bear cub that ended up on top of that mountain over there. Frost Mountain. Times how many on Indian land? I was asked to come and speak on behalf of a traditional chief. I'll not give his name because the nations that are involved with the Olympics choose not to recognize traditional hereditary chieftainships they will recognize their own chieftainships in terms of corporate development, in terms of Department of Union Affairs in terms of anything to do with money and power the chief that came to ask me if I would share a few words in terms of the loss of his right to trap, hunt, and fish on his own land that was destroyed by the highway that they worked on, that they call the Sea to Sky Highway. What was lost in that development, my dear relatives, were traditional Indian medicines that our people had been using for time immemorial that were used to treat cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and many, many different kinds of sacred medicines that now will be lost, quite possibly forever. I find it kind of sad in a way that they would talk about these things in other parts of the world, but when it comes to our own territory, they don't give a shit, literally. I have words for these corporate bums, get off Indian land, we don't want you here. There was perhaps a clique of three or four people that started this whole process in Indian country, who were all tied to the bureaucracy, who now have homes far beyond what we can understand in terms of ownership on Indian land in Whistler Mountain. in the the surrounding suburbs of Worcester Mountain. I ask myself this question, what will my grandchildren get from all of this? I have two grandsons that are participating in preparation for the Olympics. I can't hold that against them, but I have to share with them. When my grandfather raised me and took me up into those mountains in and around Whistler Mountain, that land was pure, wildlife was abundant. What is it today? It's polluted, it's desecrated, and one of the things that they, that they promised our people, they said, oh, we're going to give you back a little bit of land by Cougar Mountain there, that's um, supposedly crowned land and they said that as part of the package in terms of the development of that so-called cultural centre over there we're going to give you back that land, but guess what, that land hasn't even been dealt with, with the province, or Canada and so in a sense they're giving us back nothing when I look at what's happening on Indian land and this grand chief that I'm talking, this hereditary chief I'm I'm talking to you about, his son Seen young grizzly bear cubs roaming around in the winter time when they're supposed to be hibernating. Why? Because goddammit if he had blasting going on by your den you'd be doing the same thing too and I heard another story my dear relatives, it may not relate directly what's happened with Whistler Mountain in terms of the encroachment on the sacred lands that belong to these very beautiful beings who was a Chief Seattle said when all the beasts are gone so are we and what will our children and great-grandchildren have left when all of this is finished? nothing perish perishment is a reality purification is a reality and our people are ready to die for that we will go to jail for that. We will put the roadblocks up where they have to go up. And we've always said to Nancy Green Rain, get out of Indian Country, we don't want, we don't want you back here. We don't want no more ski resorts on Indian land. We want those sacred, ter- sacred territories to be left pure as they were when our ancestors walked those lands and lived off of those lands. so my, my message my dear relatives for this young grizzly bear here get the hell off their territory I've always said this I'd rather have a grizzly bear for a backdoor neighbor than a goddamn tourist
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the billion dollar industry that they're talking about isn't here to serve First Nations people it's here to serve the corporations that invest in it from other countries and that investment is a lie. It's an outright lie. They're supposed to be providing training for our people. Whistler Mountain, Squamish, and Pemberton are supposed to be cooperating with First Nations people in terms of economic development. We have yet to see anything fair in terms of equity, anything fair in terms of disregarding the Indian Act, and anything fair in regards to free trade amongst First Nations people and other indigenous countries and our people are making that happen come hell or high water the Indian Act is gone and our people will see to it that we will say all my relations to that relationship with the, with the government that that has these these kinds of relationships with corporations corporations basically in a sense have no place on in Indian land unless goddamn you put a million bucks on that table maybe we'll even listen to you so with that, my dear relatives, it is my hope. It is ho- my hope and prayer. And yes, we are praying in the holy sweat lodges that this system is gonna fall because it already is falling. Thank you. All right,
0: uh, next speaker is uh, Carol. Martin, she's a Mishka from the now. She is also one of our elders from the downtown east side. Council and works mm-hmm. on the Native Resistance. She's going to be talking about indigenous people's poverty in the downtown east side of Vancouver.
6: Hi, <clears throat> hello. Um, you know, um, I think it's just for one. You know, when you look at the, um, the issues of um, what our people have been subjected to, you know, and what the government got up and apologized for, you know, for implementing policies of genocide, you can't, you can't think about just that within Canada, but you have to look outside the borders. town for many years you know and um, just being caught up within the crisis just within the downtown east side i started thinking we get so caught up with so much chaos and crisis down here we have to look beyond that so now i'm starting to step up and started s- starting to speak out about what what is happening to our people you know we took Phil Fontaine down here so many times to look at the realities of our people I was one of these people down here you know and I found myself now the more I find out about who I am as an indigenous woman the more binding the society becomes for me because I'm so stuck between so much oppression, so much stereotyping so much labeling We're, we're working within a systemic we're working within a system that's very racist and very prejudiced and the impact of the Olympics they want to paint a beautiful picture of how great it is but they don't look at the impact of what it's doing the total destruction. You talk about the continuum of violence you gotta look at the continuum of poverty and how it's escalating to the, to the effects where it's affecting even me as a worker you know I've worked my whole life I don't know why, you know, I'm, I keep talking and I keep hoping that the media will, will you know, really listen to what the indigenous issues are because it's very vague. You know, I can sit up here for an hour and talk about any issues, anything you want to talk about, you know, our missing and murdered women, our children in the, in the, in the health, I mean, in the welfare system, our men in the, in the jail system. What part of it does this society not understand that this system is not working for the indigenous people? You know, you you take away so much of what we have, you're not going to take away my voice because I'm going to keep going. And the media has to really, really understand the issues of the indigenous people. The impact of the Olympics is not as great as they say it is. You know, it's pushing people more into poverty. There's more violence. There's more destruction of land. Are we not looking and watching the news that we're disturbing the animals out there when the bears come out and they blame you for not looking after your garbage? You know, I'm going to be speaking here for I don't know how long and I don't know how much of this is going to get out there but it's very disturbing when you will walk downtown and you see what our people are enduring. The housing, the homelessness, even if you do have housing, you're at risk of losing your house. I did twice. You know, and I have children I have. I, you know, I work. I'm not only trying to work and keep myself up within the system, you know, to feed my kids. I can't even go back home and be a part of that system. You know, the villages the the because you know there's so much poverty there too you look at downtown you look at the reserves they're all in the same conditions the housings are They're they're bad you know i was renting this place here in vancouver four bedroom for two thousand dollars the place started falling apart it was cold there was a lot of mold and mildew You know, people don't have a lot of choices out there when it comes to looking for a a suitable housing. You know, even if you are in a low rental housing, there's always risk of somebody attacking or retaliation or someone putting you at risk of losing your housing. The issues are real and they're very disturbing and there's only a few people who have been elected in these positions. They did not consult with the native people. You know, when you think about the, the policies that they implemented against our people, do you think it was right what they did with our treaties? Do you think that was fair? I don't think so. they took clear advantage of a very vulnerable population, and they're doing that again. I think it's up to every one of us to, you know, bring these real, true and disturbing realities to the front, forefront. And it's going to take a lot of us to do that. And I went to this group and um, we had a gathering in Winnipeg and I felt so empowered. And every time I have to come up here and speak, it's about the issues. I'm not just talking about the Aboriginal people. I'm talking about the people who live below the poverty line and what they have to endure. How many people travel on transit? How many people do you see are of people of color? People can't even afford bus fares, you know, and they're bringing the Olympics here. There's a whole bunch of people who are homeless or at risk of being homeless, and they're talking about thousands, millions of dollars, billions of dollars that are going into the Olympics. Now, there's something seriously wrong with our society and their way of thinking. And they elect chiefs in place on the reserves to control, divide and conquer our people. So there's only a few selective people who are gonna benefit from this. What's gonna happen after the Olympics is gone? Problems are gonna come out. They're putting more of our people in jail. They're putting more of our people in, um, in um, different... Um, I'm losing my frame of thought here. It's just time for our society to wake up and know what is right and what is wrong we need to pay more attention to the realities outside our windows and our doors and start looking at these issues because the impact of the Olympics is putting a big strain on the people who are living below the poverty line and I sure hope the media you know starts opening their eyes to the realities of what is happening to the indigenous people of this land and to all those people who stand in solidarity with the native people And the issues, and it's not just indigenous people who live below the poverty line. It's people of all colors. And it's time for us to stand up and unite. We elect these people in positions of power, and then we just just don't bother with them. We should always be involved. We can't take things at face value anymore. We have to question everything, even if it's something we ask for and we receive. I learned that as an indigenous woman you know, the more I open my eyes up, the more I realize I have to empower myself and our leaders, the people who they put in in those leadership roles, they need to be aware of these issues and start taking directions, start consulting with the people start consulting with our people off the reserves and on the reserves start paying attention to what is happening to our land because we're losing so much we're losing that connection to the land where we we lived off the land with our, with our wild game, our herbs, everything, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of, we didn't need the houses, the big houses, the cell phones, the TVs, the toilets, the freezers. It's time for society to wake up and see what is happening. We've gotta stop this divide and conquer because this government has implemented not just within Canada, but across the world with our
0: indigenous people. On their relationship. All right, uh, the next speaker will be uh, Laura Track from the Pivotal Legal Society. Uh, I'd just like to say that Parsha uh, show over here will be signaling you when your minute is up, two minutes. <laughs> we want to go quickly so that there'll be some time for question and answers
7: and I work on housing-related issues for the Pivot Legal Society. And we're a nonprofit legal uh, advocacy organization here in the downtown east side with a mandate of trying to use the law in a strategic way to advance the interests of the most vulnerable uh, among us in the population. And uh, like Art said in his uh, introduction, I too was incredibly disappointed and frustrated with Canada's uh, decision not to sign on to the International Covent- Covenant on Indigenous Rights But as I thought about it more, I realized, well, at least they're being honest about the fact that they have no intention of complying with those obligations. Because Canada has a history of signing on to international legal instruments and then failing to comply with them. For example, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, one of the most fundamental, universal legal instruments that we have that sets out the rights of all human beings everywhere, guarantees a right to housing to safe, secure housing. Same with another international instrument that Art mentioned as well, the International Convention on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights. And yet, what we see happening in Vancouver is a crisis of homelessness that gets worse every year. And particularly significant that I want to touch on today is the crisis in Aboriginal housing and the disproportionate number of Aboriginal individuals who find themselves without a home in Vancouver and who are among the hundreds of people sleeping outside every day. The Olympic organizers in making the bid for Vancouver to be awarded the Olympic Games made a whole bunch of promises to the international community and to Canadians and to Vancouverites. And I wanted to just pick up on three areas in which um, promises were made and the ways in which those promises have been broken. And I have a little uh, sheet of paper here that I would be happy to uh, share with people that are interested. But I just want to touch on three themes. And the first promises that were made, themes around the first uh, issue were promises related to housing. Um, it was promised that no one would be made homeless as a result of the Olympic Games. It was promised that Vancouver residents would not be involuntarily displaced, evicted, or face unreasonable rent increases due to the Olympic Games. Rental housing stock was promised to be protected, and we were promised a legacy of affordable housing. The reality of the situation is that over 1,400 rooms have been lost to the low-income population in the downtown east side just since Vancouver was awarded the Olympic Games. Residents continue to be evicted from the SRO hotels. throughout the city and that often has to do with uh, the city failing to enforce its standards of maintenance bylaws. The buildings become so decrepit and uninhabitable that the city has to order them closed, with the result that all of the tenants are made homeless in uh, the process. Promised affordable housing in the Athletes' Village was slashed as one of the first acts of the NPA Council when it was elected. And loopholes in the Residential Tenancy Act allow landlords to evict tenants, do cosmetic repairs to the suites, and then massively raise the rents. Promises were also made in the area of civil liberties, and it was promised that there would be consultation uh, with the inner city, with downtown Eastside residents, before security plans were finalized. No consultation has happened to date. It was also promised that access to public spaces would be preserved and protected before, during, and after the Games. And what we've seen instead is Project Civil City and the downtown ambassadors and other private security guards that target the homeless, that uh, take their orders from businesses and restrict people's access to public space in extremely profound ways. Finally, promises were made about input to decision-making. And uh, we were told that an independent Olympic, Olympic watchdog would uh, work with Van Ock and we were told there would be a full and accountable public consultation process that would include inner-city residents. Now, efforts to bring a city planner down to the Carnegie Centre once a month, once every couple of months, those efforts have been totally stonewalled. Um, independent organizations that do exist related to the Olympic Games have not been invited to sit down with Van Ock or or other, other levels of government to discuss what's been happening. And um, a report that was produced by the Olympic Housing Roundtable, which was uh, comprised of nonprofit groups, for profit businesses, different levels of governments, came to um, a couple of dozen of unanimous recommendations on moving forward with housing commitments, and that report has been largely buried and ignored. So the promises and the realities do not match up uh, from what we've seen, and as you've heard from other speakers as well, the Olympics are having profound impacts on the inner city, and there's still time for um, the levels of government to change course and uh, make more... um, Efforts to comply with these promises, and I hope that um, together we can um, we can push that agenda forwards. So, thank you.
0: Yes, thank you very much. And uh, the next speaker is Anita from the Power, of,
4: mm-hmm.
0: Power of Women, Women's Group, talking about the women
4: in poverty. Two minutes. No. Okay. Oh. Okay. Um, um, my name is Anita Chop Kennedy, and I'm a First Nations uh, queer woman, retired mother of two, and uh, I'm happy to say that I, my family's really fine and proud of the kids. And, but uh, what I'm here to talk about is the women downtown east side. Well, pretty well everybody downtown east side. And uh, the thing with the Power Women group is to help women, other women, um, talk about issues and how to to go about them and supporting each other and, uh, and discussing and dealing with issues. And um, with the games, uh, too, uh, I am not against the Olympic Games, however, personally. What I am against is how they are being abuse through misuse. First of all, the Olympic Games are supposed to be about honor, good fair competition, and most of all, good sportsmanship. And this should be exercised through all aspects of life, specifically in good governing. However, I don't see anything of the sort being exercised through the Games. All I can see are bad and poor planning with every destructive results that are falling all around the world. And the Olympic Games are, are used by greedy opportunists throughout the world. Along with this process comes homelessness and poverty for too many around the world. They only benefit a few small, lot of opportunists and their friends, and it is not just fair play nor showing good sportsmanship. It is dehumanizing uh, the human race by too much. And the Olympic Games should be an example of how we can all help everyone through good planning and fair play. It should be good for all people, especially the people that live within the areas of the venues we are paying for. No one should be displaced or homeless. What former Mayor Zam Sullivan did with the Civil City Project was horrible. It is, no, it is duly against the law of the land which is a charter of rights and freedoms. This is proof of how some politicians are brazenly violating people's rights, imprisoning them, ticketing them, and when they don't have any jobs. This process is misuse and gross abuse of police, namely Vancouver Police and RCMB in Canada, who are supposed to be under oath to serve and protect and not the other way around. When the chief of police in question allowed this to happen, then he is in breach of that very same oath to serve and protect. Which brings to the topic of Adolf Hitler who had exercised grossly uh, ethnic cleansing. This is the same process as being exercised not only in Vancouver, but all the world through the Olympic Games. This is social cleansing um, within um, the downtown east side of being, uh, Vancouver being a very good um, example of such social cleansing. This is done through displacement of people's life, a, a fear of monopoly and fair monopoly, unfair labour practice, unfair advantage of prospective opportunity. This whole process is only benefits the selected few. This is done in a more resettlement, and discreet manner. And this is a fine example of how too many people that get themselves elected for public office don't know what the hell they're doing once in office and it's costing people too much already. Duly unfair governing. This is totally dishonorable, Paul. Well, this is don't respect nor listen to the people that are paying them to work for them. I am a First Nations Cree retired widow, mother of two beautiful children. I would like to take this opportunity to address what Prime Minister Stephen Harper did to all of the First Nations people in Canada. He has committed treason when he granted the province of Quebec a nation status. This is total plunder and it's worst. I say this because not all the treaties have been dealt with nor signed. Well, just by that very action, he has put us in a position to scrap former signed treaties and go back to the bargaining table, as well as the annual $5 each First Nation person gets from the Crown is an absolute insult. Don't these people know the meaning of the cost of living up, the disease rate? It is inhumane as well as unconstitutional when they put First Nation people on reserves. This is an international disgrace. They may as well put us in a concentration camp. With all of this in mind, my work is not done, not by a long shot. Thank you very much.
0: Next speaker will be uh, Gord Hill. I'm talking about the Olympics.
8: Hello, my name is Gord Hill, I'm from the uh, Kwakwakwakw nation and I was asked to talk a bit about the uh, Olympic security. Uh, to begin with, I would just like to say um, the Olympics of course have a long history of association with uh, colonial and fascist regimes. If you go back and look at the history of it from its, the founding member of the uh, Olympics, uh, Kubertin was a French Baron, up to the uh, 1936 Berlin Olympics which helped establish the fascist regime in uh, Germany. To the 1968 uh mexico city olympics which was preceded by a massacre of up to 300 uh student protesters to keep uh to establish an olympic peace during the olympics at that time um, and most recently of course the uh, 2008 summer beijing olympics which helped establish a massive police state in china uh, some of the main concerns we have about the uh, 2010 uh, winter olympics is uh, as Dustin mentioned, it's gonna be one of the largest security operations in Canadian history, involving about 13,000 soldiers and police. The uh, security operations are being run by the RCMP, uh, Vancouver Integrated Security Unit, which is gonna be coordinating all the security operations with the Canadian Armed Forces as well as local police, emergency services. And included within that is the uh, Joint Task Force Two, which is the elite anti-terrorist unit a number of emergency response teams and the uh, large numbers of ride police we would expect. Some of the other uh, aspects of the security that they're going to put in place are they're going to establish special security zones in the downtown area and around Olympic venues. And uh, it's going to require people to have special ID passes to enter into these areas. Um, Along with this is the the establishment of uh, a CCTV surveillance system that the police have been... uh, Pursuing for a number of years in the downtown area here. And it's another thing they want to put in place. And if we look at China, they have something like 300,000 CCTV cameras put in place, which are going to remain after the Games. So these are uh, some of the main concerns. Uh, If you look at the Olympic Charter itself, uh, the whole city is required to uh, control or prevent protests in and around Olympic venues. Um, In addition to that, as uh, I think Laura mentioned already, with the Safe Streets Act and Project Civil City, we've seen a criminalization of uh, poor people, people on the streets. And we've also seen a criminalization of the opposition to the Olympics with uh, scores of arrests that have occurred over the last two years in response to our campaign of direct action, which has successfully disrupted a lot of the Vanhock events. And as well, the uh, raids and... uh, on uh, the Downtown Eastside Residents Association following the theft of the Olympic flag by the Native Warrior Society in uh, March 2007. Uh, So these are some of the main concerns, the erosion of civil liberties and the establishment of a police state that will not just be in place for the Olympics, but which is gonna remain after the 2010 Winter Olympics. Thank you. Thank you.